This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. She'll lift you up and empower you to help your child and your family thrive. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me on this next session of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to tell you about the upcoming Parenting ADHD Summit. This is the second year that we're having this annual event, and this is um, a completely online conference, and you can participate absolutely for free. It's really exciting because I'm able to bring in lots of experts to provide insights and strategies strategies for you guys and in a format where I can offer it to you very accessibly and even for free. So I love that I get to do that for all of you out there and I'm really excited about the lineup that we have this year. So I wanted to take a little time and share some about the summit and also play a few clips of some of the sessions for you here in this podcast episode. It's um, really exciting. We have loads of experts from all different areas talking about ADHD and the brain. We're talking about understanding your child, um, ADHD treatment options, understanding medication, um, therapy, a healthy lifestyle, mindfulness. We're talking about ADHD parenting strategies, which are super valuable, of course, managing and improving behavior and managing everyday life with ADHD. You know, sometimes it's just about the little things each and every day, right? Just getting through, but not only getting through, thriving. That's what I want for all of you in all of the work that I do and all of the things that I offer, but especially in the summit, you know, I really try to focus on the aspects of parenting a kid with ADHD that I didn't learn at first, that took a long time for me to discover myself or for someone to finally tell me that these were things I needed to think about or areas that I needed to look at. And so, There's just so much information, 27 experts and myself, I also have a session, but today I'm just going to play for you some excerpts of five of um, our different sessions. The first one that I want to share with you is Dr. Edward Hallowell. Pretty much everybody knows Dr. Hallowell. He's a fixture in the ADHD communities, and his session is all about how to help kids with ADHD be happy happy? How do we provide opportunities for happiness for our kids? And this clip, he's talking about confidence and self-esteem, building these things in our kids. What do we focus on? What do we have to provide for them that will then facilitate these opportunities to bring more success and joy into their lives? Because of course, that's really what we want for our kids. So take a listen to Dr. Hallowell. Confidence and self-esteem, the, the, the 
the best single strategy I know of is to set a kid up to get better at something that is both challenging and matters to them. Mm-hmm. It has to be challenging or it, it's not going to do any, uh, and it has to matter to them. So, you know, so uh, Latin may be challenging, but it may not matter to the kid. Um, uh, there might be something else that matters to the kid, like playing video games, but it isn't challenging. So it's not going to build self-esteem and confidence unless it's both challenging and matters to the kid. Right. Uh, so, so something that is both challenging and matters to the kid, if you can set him up or her up to make progress at that, guaranteed confidence and self-esteem will grow, and with that, motivation increases. Mm-hmm. So, so if you find yourself increasing in in uh, competence, ability, performance at, at any task, could be cooking, could be gardening, doesn't have to be academic or sports, but something that, that is, is difficult and you care about, then you will grow. And now, it cuts both ways because if tries you might, you make no progress, then you'll lose confidence and you'll lose self-esteem. And that's why coaches and teachers are, are so important. You know, you, you want to have someone who can pretty much guarantee that you will make some progress. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and so, you know, and, and you don't want to pick out something that you couldn't possibly make any progress at doing, you know. And I think parents have a role in that, too. You know, we can help right. to guide choices, but also, you know, in in speaking to coaches or instructors or making sure that it's a good fit where your child can succeed. Um, because if they can't, you know, I think it's just detrimental to their self-esteem. You're doing the opposite. Oh, totally. You know, if you keep trying and you get nowhere, then, that, you know, that's where that's where you know, you, you start giving up and you start saying, why bother? And, you know, and I'm yep. just a loser and, and I can't do anything. And, you know, and, and, and that's where, you know, a lot of kids who are crossed off as lazy have simply tried and failed one too many times and they just don't want to, they just don't want to do it again. Yep. Yep. That happens so often. Um, and it's such a shame, but I think, you know, as long as, as parents, we stay diligent to really be mindful that we are um, giving enough opportunities for success. We can counteract that. Let's talk a little bit, I think, about optimism, because I know that that is something else that's, that really feeds into this idea of happiness, mm-hmm. um, that when we do have those painful times, when we do mm-hmm. have the challenges that we need, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, how do we teach kids to, to stay positive, to have an eye toward the future, toward a time when things will get better, to know that they'll get better. I think that's really difficult for some kids. Well, one thing is is to allow the negative to exist. You know, you don't want to forbid pessimism, forbid negativity, because, you know, and some people do that. And all that does is it buries and goes down under and festers. So, yeah. It's okay to say, oh, nothing is ever going to work out. 
And, you know, you don't have to run in as a parent and say, oh, no, 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 everything is going to be just fine. You can just let them say nothing is ever going to work out and just leave it be. Um, you know, and you can say, gosh, I guess you feel pretty bad about that. And just leave it be. Next, we have a clip from Julie Skolnick. Julie is um, a twice exceptional expert that twice exceptionality gifted, but also with some sort of disability. She's also an advocate, super, super insightful on approaching things from a strengths-based perspective. So talking about working with schools, talking about helping our kids succeed. Um, We talk some about gifted kids, but this certainly is not a session only about twice exceptionality. So in this clip that I want to play for you, Julie is talking about an acronym that she has trademarked called praise. And these are all the most important strategies for parents of kids with ADHD and just really um, very valuable information that I really want you to pay close attention to. So let's listen to Julie. Do you want to talk about your praise acronym? Sure. So I trademarked an acronym that's PRAISE, and it stands for six categories of strategies. We've touched on a bunch of them here, but the first yeah. one E, personal connection, reframe, anticipate. We know where they're going to trip up. Mm-hmm. We know what behavior we're going to see with emotion dysregulation. Um, so personal connection, reframe, anticipate. Incentives and choices. So you were talking about an incentive there. Uh, Choices are also really magical with our kids. I mean, as easy as do you want 10 green beans or 15 green beans? Well, we know they're going to take 10, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You want to do your worksheet, you know, sitting on your bed or at the kitchen table and get so there's the adult thing that for sure we want them to do, but they get to choose the who, what, when, where, why. Okay. Personal connection, reframe, anticipate incentives and choices Sense of humor. So important to have a sense of humor. That's the taking the garbage out, you know, while doing the can-can. <laughs> no <Yes. one> <laughs> and then, and exercise is the E in praise. Exercise. And that's also so important. So all things flow from personal connection. So that's the most important thing to make sure you have time with your children. That is not about nagging to get whatever it is done. Right. But to Enjoy have some time. real good one-on-one <laughs> time with them. And so that's sort of the way that I, if I'm tripping up, I go, okay, let me go back to praise personal connection. If I spent time with my kid, let me go play a card game with them. Okay. Let me reframe what's going on for them, what that behavior really means. Let me anticipate, okay, we're transitioning. I know those, that's hard for them. So I'm going to give lots of cues. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to ask them what's going to make it easier, right? I'm going to give incentives and choices. I'm going to always have a sense of humor and I'm going to make sure that they've moved. And that's kind of recipe for success. Um, And I just want to mention that on this positive reframe, um, strength-based approach, I have renamed ADHD in one of my blogs, an early, early blog, instead of that horrible attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, am I broken? Instead, I call it, hyperattention activity deficit because they can pay attention to so many things and they need to move. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, incorporating movement is so powerful for our kids. Anything that we're trying to get them to do, if we can incorporate more movement, it's often going to be more effective, more successful. Absolutely. Throw the ball and do the spelling words, Mm -hmm. Uh, play soccer and talk about the current events, whatever, whatever you can do. Yeah. Yeah. So what else do you want to be sure to talk about in the session before we close? Anything else on your mind as far as using strengths-based approach? I think that we have to compare our children to themselves. Yeah. When we start comparing our parenting or we start comparing our children to other people, it's not fair. And we come from the wrong foundation even. Yeah. So when we really truly understand our kids' strengths and struggles, then we can keep that acronym in mind and we can keep the positive reframe. We can understand the behavior. We can look beneath the behavior. um, And then we can use their strengths to help them be the best them they can be. Wow, isn't that so powerful? Reframing and helping our kids be the best that they can be. That's what this is all about, you know, helping our kids live their best life, their individual truth. We're looking at ways to honor that, to feed that and to guide them to being successful and being happy. And the insights that Julie offered really help with those goals. The third clip is from Dr. Ross Green. Many of you know Dr. Green from his books, The Explosive Child, Lost at School, um, most recently Raising Human Beings. He even now has a documentary film called... um, The Kids We Lose, a very powerful documentary. I encourage all of you to look into where you might be able to view that film. Um, Dr. Green is talking about behavior as communication, and this is something I talk about on the podcast all the time. So those of you who are regular listeners to this podcast are going to recognize this information, but hearing it directly from Dr. Green, who is where I learned it from in the first place is so powerful. In this clip, he's talking about believing that behavior is working for our kids, which is just not true. Fueling a lot of behavior management is believing that the child's behavior is working for him in some way. Right. Um, It's working at getting him attention or he's manipulating us or he's Um, making us miserable so we'll give in to his wishes or he's unmotivated or he's testing limits or he's yanking our chain or he's um, all these things that we say about kids when they are exhibiting behaviors that simply communicate to us that they're having difficulty meeting expectations but then we lose the forest for the trees the the trees are behavior the forest is the expectations the child is having difficulty meeting that's what we ought to be focused on Yeah, absolutely. It was such a um, transformative moment when I realized that ADHD was a developmental disorder. Nobody really tells you that in the beginning. And when I realized that he should be behind and my expectations did need to shift, not to say that, you know, a lot of parents get upset at the notion that 
we're giving in. We're not going to have the same expectations. We're just letting them off the hook. And that's mm-hmm. not the point. The point is that we're sliding them. We're, we're meeting the child where they are, right? And that is the definition of good parenting and good teaching, meeting the child where he or she is at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, here's the interesting thing. The, the diagnosis ADHD, the criteria for that diagnosis is actually a list of behaviors. Mm-hmm. But where the developmental delay of ADHD comes alive is when we look at the lagging skills, especially executive skills, yes. that are fueling those behaviors. And that's when caregivers say, oh, my, mm-hmm. uh, nobody would have those lagging skills on purpose. And if those lagging skills are causing that behavior, then apparently the behavior is not in, on purpose either. Um, And as you said, that helps us view kids through much more compassionate lenses. Uh, Quite frankly, I see challenging behavior through the exact same lenses as I would view any other developmental delay. As I always say, kids who have difficulty reading are having difficulty mastering the skills required for being proficient in reading. Kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges are lacking the skills to handle life's social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. Right. That's deserving of our empathy because this is about lagging skills, not about all those other things we say about these kids that are not true. Yes, we tend to really um, decide that behavior is a character flaw or a moral or ethical issue. And, you know, I think that's the biggest disservice that we're giving to kids because they're struggling. They're having a hard time. Well, and here's the key point. The reason we're not letting the kid off the hook is because we are saying those behaviors are still undesirable. So the undesirability of the behaviors are still there. Right. How we're going about helping the kid is what changes completely. And that's the crux of the idea of behavior as communication, right? Is that when we look at it differently through that different lens, then we are able to approach our kids where they are. We're meeting them where we are, where they are. We are able to really then become effective, become truly helpful to our kids. Such good information, you guys. I know I keep saying this over and over, but I'm so excited about this summit and all of this great expert wisdom that is going to come your way very soon. The next expert that I want to share a clip with you is Dr. Jerome Schultz. He's the author of Nowhere to Hide, which I have probably mentioned that book on this podcast before, all about um, the stress that kids are under at school when they have learning differences. And he works for Harvard Medical School. He's a professor there, um, but he started as a special education teacher, and that is really um, a unique lens for him to have that experience in the classroom with kids like ours, but then also to have the neuroscience background, the neuropsychology perspective on it. In this clip, he's talking about the different types of stress and how the stress layers on top of the ADHD and what 
we need to be watching for. If our kids are in toxic stress, if they're in a situation where it's really a crisis, if our kids are in toxic stress and it's really important because it's a crisis that we address it very quickly and very effectively. And Dr. Schultz really um, provides some good strategies for that. We're good problem solvers who are rapid thinkers, but we have other kids who worry really quickly, who get into an anxious state because they've done something without thinking, uh, they've spoken foolishly, they've reached out and touched somebody inappropriately, and then it's too late. So they're always dealing with these consequences. So I think if we drill down and look at stress and what it does for us that's good and bad and help kids understand what stress is and the impact is on their behavior, their academic performance, and their emotions, then we're getting uh, we're getting really ahead of the game and helping kids a lot. Yeah, I you know, it's interesting that some stress is good because I think um, as a culture, we kind of think of stress as bad. We don't think about the fact that it really does protect us in some ways and that a certain level of stress is okay. How do we see the difference in our kids? What what kind of uh, red flags are might we see in a child who is under too much stress or feeling yeah. too much stress? That's a good question. I like to break the stress into three categories that I mentioned a little bit ago, good stress, tolerable stress, and toxic stress. Good stress is the kind of stress that gets us ready for a challenge. It's the kind of stress that I think is associated with the phrases, um, this isn't that hard, I can do this. Uh, and it gets us ready. It's like going to the gym. If we pick up a weight that's much too light for us, it's no challenge and we don't get stronger. So kids who are not exposed to situations that cause mild or good stress don't really get their systems tested at all. And so when they're uh, in a space that I call living on the cusp of their competence, when they're asked to do things that in their own minds and in reality they're able to do, that's good stress. It's a little bit of pressure to get us ready, to get us thinking, to get our brains engaged, and then we move ahead and do the task, and lo and behold, we succeed and we feel good about it. Tolerable stress is the kind of stress we have when bad things happen that are going to go away, that we deal with. It It rises our anxiety, raises our anxiety and it, and, it, and it causes our blood pressure to rise. But we have this feeling like, well, that's going to go away. You know, like you're driving a car on a slippery road and you start to skid, but your car gets back into control. Or let's uh, has a brother or sister who goes away to college and he or she feels stress, but they know that they'll see their brother or sister that whom they love, I hope, at the next vacation. So that's, you know, when bad things happen to good people and the bad things tend to get better, if somebody gets sick or if, even if somebody dies, those are horrible things. That's tolerable stress because we know or we believe that it's going to get better. When the needle goes over to the far extreme edge, that's toxic stress. And toxic stress happens when we don't feel that we have a sense of control over anything. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter, like, let's say a kid is in school and she doesn't believe that she can do the reading assignment that's put in front of her. It, it often doesn't matter what we say or what we do to that child, but because if her belief system is so strong, if she says, there's no way I can do this, if I do it, I will be embarrassed. If I do it, I'll be ashamed. If I have ADHD and I try this thing and I make a mistake, I'm going to look stupid yet again. Everything is totally out of my control. So I'm going to behave in ways that let you know that. I'm going to act up. I'm going to 
act in. I'm going to act out because I don't want to be under toxic stress. That's toxic to me. And it is toxic. Toxic stress can kill people uh, over the long run. Toxic stress destroys our immune systems. It makes us sicker. It makes us weaker. It doesn't help us to learn anything. So we have to keep kids out of that zone, move them back toward that tolerable zone of stress and ultimately get them get them to a place where they're feeling appropriately challenged in a way that matches their ability wow an appropriate level of accommodation and understanding sounds amazing for our kids doesn't it and dr schultz really lays out some opportunities for that and ways to identify when our kids are needing more um, intervention, when our kids are kind of having these big emotions that maybe we're not seeing, you know, anxiety and stress um, really can look like a lot of different things. They don't always look like what we expect them to look like. Our kids might turn very angry. Um, They might seem depressed when actually it's just the level of stress, the level of misunderstanding. And there's many things that we can do by working with schools if that's where their um, toxic levels of stress are coming from. Our last clip is from Amanda Warren of understood.org, and she has been on the podcast before, um, and she is talking about working with schools. This is, of course, her area of supreme expertise, and so she's talking about different strategies that we can use for working with teachers and administrators effectively. Um, she and I had a pretty long conversation. I think this is the longest session in the summit at just under an hour. And we shared so many like specific tools, specific strategies. Um, we talked some about IEPs and 504 plans, what they are and how to get that level of accommodation or service for your child. Super valuable. But what I'm sharing with you here is a couple of excerpts from our conversation. The first is on behavior and the second is on not breaking our kids. Take a listen. And a lot of that's conversation, right? It's a conversation like you and I are having right now about the fact that this is not willful behavior, you know, and, you know, I know you and I've had this conversation before about behavior being communication. Yep. Behavior is telling you something. Um, it is telling you, you know, avoidance behavior. Sometimes kids who have that, like I have a stomach ache and I need to leave the classroom. It's because they're, they're struggling sometimes. I mean, sometimes kids just have a stomach ache, but right. if it's a chronic kind of thing, often what you're seeing is, is a child who's saying, this is too hard for me and I need to, to leave. Mm-hmm. the classroom for it, you know, um, the child who's sort of sliding under the desk and, and uh, rolling away. Well, first of all, maybe they need something to sort of keep them grounded in space um, in their chair. And second of all, what is it that's really hard for them right now? They're telling you something's hard for them, whether they know it or not, you know, and right. I think I think that's important because, you know, I think the, the question that comes up is, well if, well, if it's hard for them, why don't they just say so? And I think kids don't always know what's hard for them. So they just show you what's mm-hmm. hard for them. Yeah. And they don't always have the right language or right. Um, the right insight, you know, in themselves to be able to explain it. Right. Yeah, I think avoidance behavior is not a kid being lazy. Avoidance behavior is there's a reason why it's so hard for them or so uncomfortable for them that they would rather avoid and probably get into trouble, you know, have a consequence 
then to try to do the work. Um, but if you think about it, once you get into trouble, you don't have to do the work, right? right. So <laughs> it works that way too. It works out yeah. that way, you know, and, and I don't think kids, you know, so few kids really want to be in trouble. You know, I, I, yeah, I don't think they don't. any kid who wants to be in, in mm-hmm. trouble. Um, but when that's the better option, it's definitely something to start having a conversation about with the school and, and your teacher. <laughs> need a fidget. I need whatever it is I need right now. Um, and those are things you can do with all of the students. And I think everybody benefits from that. And then you're changing classroom, the classroom to meet the kid instead of changing the kid to meet the classroom. Yes, yes, yes. It is not our kids that need to change. It's us. It's their environment. It's the expectations of the world around them. We are the ones that need to change, not our children. They are wonderful human beings who just happen to think and function and act in different ways than neurotypicals do, and that's totally okay. So I hope you got a good taste of the value of what's coming your way at the Parenting ADHD Summit. To participate for free... You need to listen to the different sessions based on the schedule. The schedule of the event is June 17th through the 21st. 2019. Now, don't worry if you're listening to this podcast episode after that, the whole library of the expert sessions is available for purchase at parenting ADHD and autism academy.com. If you want to sign up for the free um, summit, go to parenting ADHD summit.com. That's parenting ADHD summit. You can also go to the show notes for this episode at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 060 for episode 60. And I will have a link there directly to the summit website for you to sign up. Of course, if you're not available during that week, you can still take advantage of the summit by purchasing an empowerment pass um, up to and during the event. That's only $77 for 28 expert sessions. So, so much valuable information. But I absolutely want you guys to participate for free if you can. That's the beauty of the summits. I get to offer this to everybody. This level of expertise and insight is available to every parent of kids with ADHD. So jump over to parentingadhdsummit.com and I hope to see you in the summit. Take good care. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. If you connected with this episode, please share it on social media. Be sure to visit parentingadhdandautism.com to join the conversation and take advantage of Penny's online courses and summits, retreats, parent coaching, and fantastic bonus content.